Good morning. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll start there. As was mentioned, uh, we are in a bigger section uh, during our preaching Sunday mornings of going through the book of Genesis, but we've taken pause the last few weeks uh, for kind of a, a mini-series focusing in on the reality that God has made humanity in his image, and therefore that has profound implications. Uh, profound implications for how we understand ourselves, our culture, and others around us. And so we wanted to draw out a little bit more what the Bible says about those implications. Uh, so let's, let's just go back to Genesis 1 to get ourselves oriented around the text once again. We're going to read verses 26 through 28. This is God's holy word for his people. Genesis 1:26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word. At some point in my childhood, after uh, taking an eye exam, some uh, medically uh, approved individual told me that I had 20-20 vision. And then they used this phrase, perfect vision. Now you might imagine what this news did for a kid that had my ego. Perfect vision, I thought. That's pretty good. Actually, that's better than pretty good. That's perfect. And from that point on, I operated under an understanding that my perfect vision was to be exercised at any opportunity. I eagerly anticipated any test of how well I could see. It seemed to me, in my mind at the time, that there was no doubt I had a superpower. <laughs> Each year that the visit to the nurse's office would come up on the calendar to take that eye test became to me something of an Olympic event. I eagerly anticipated asking my friends, what line did you get to on the eye chart? Not as far as I did. At some point in my childhood, someone else must have told me that carrots were good for your eyesight. And I immediately remember thinking, no wonder that's my favorite vegetable. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I thought eating carrots was some sort of like pre-workout for the eyes. I said, I have perfect vision. I didn't have perfect logic. 
but I operated under this assumption. As I've spent more time in this world, more time in God's word, more time in seeing my own heart and mind exposed, I've come to find out how much I really need corrective lenses for my soul. While I may be able to see pretty clearly with my physical eyes, my soul often has a perspective that distorts and makes fuzzy the things around me. I need corrective lenses for the eyes of my soul so I can discern before me and have a perspective that is rightly and appropriately shaped by God and his word and his understanding of the world. The universal human truth that everyone is made in the image of God is meant to have a shaping understanding on how we see others. I've come to see that I need corrective lenses and the prescription is the image of God. In every human being that I see and encounter. This morning, we're looking at the corrective lenses of the image of God, and in particular, we want to think as a church together how those lenses are meant to help us see those who are different from us. When we see differences in humanity, how does the lenses of the image of God in each individual shape our perspective of how we view those that are unlike us. It's meant to have profound implications on our understanding. And so our focus this morning is to look at God's word and and see how these corrective lenses might help us. Here's our main point this morning. The image of God in others must shape how we think, feel, and speak about those who are different from us. If we are Christ followers, sons and daughters of God, then these lenses must, must take a shaping view on our hearts, on our minds, on our mouths, when we see those who differ from us. What we see at the outset of our Bibles in this text is that God has purposed and designed his image to be reflected particularly in his creation through humanity. And there is a beautifying of God's image in the diversity that he has designed. There is a beautifying of the image of God in the diversity of his image bearers. At the outset, God has decided to make man in his image, both male and female, putting forth a diversity and then calling them, this is what we call the creation mandate, sending them to be fruitful and to multiply over all the earth. That that diversity would be spread over all of creation as a means of beautifying the image of God in humanity. We see that God himself is this image of diversity met with unity. We have a God and worship a God who is three in one. 
Three distinct persons, perfectly united as one God. And that image is reflected in his image bearers as unity spreads throughout all of his creation and flourishes in unity, which points to God's glory. We recently studied chapter 3 of our Bibles and saw that mankind has fallen into sin, to rebellion against God against his good desire, against his good purposes, and that fall into sin has distorted his image bearers, every one of us. The image of God, because of rebellion to God's design and purposes, has been distorted, but not destroyed. That's a vital reality for us to grasp as those who want to love, worship, and live for God. We must continually remind ourselves that his image has been distorted but not destroyed in humanity. And that distortion, we must recognize, first has affected us personally. That we are God's image bearers, and we reflect his image and understand his image in distorted ways. Our very faculties have been distorted. Our head, our heart, and our tongue have been distorted. And in order to adjust this distortion, we need corrective lenses for the eyes of our soul. Turn in your Bibles to the letter of James, so almost all the way to the other side. James chapter 3. I want to point out how James uncovers this distortion that we see in, in ourselves. In James chapter 3, The letter is written and penned, and in this particular section, he is identifying the problem we have with our tongues, with our mouths, what we speak, and the destruction that it causes. Let's start reading in verse 9. With our tongues, James says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We have in our Bibles a a clear connection that the distortion of the image of God in our own lives, it It gives vent from our mouths which springs forth from our hearts. We have distorted faculties. Our hearts, our heads, our mouths 
do not properly understand God's image in others. And so James says, so from that very mouth, you may bless the Lord and Father and curse others who are made in his image. The reservoir of our words are the pools of our heart and mind. We speak what we think and feel. The distorting effects of the fall have left us all with salty springs of heart and mind. This is James' point. And James is urging the church to rearrange our distorted perspective because these things ought not be so. We recognize when we are honest that our hearts, our minds, and our tongues, they have in each and every one of us a, the tainting effects of indwelling sin. We do not see often in others, particularly those who are different from us, the beautifying reality of the image of God in them. We often see in differences things that we can not pour forth praises from God of what he has put before us, but cursing, accusation, and judgment. We think, feel, and speak about those who are different from us in salty ways. So seeking to apply the lenses of God's image in others as a, a way to adjust our heart, mind, and tongue, it should have a transforming reality on us. We learn from the teaching of Jesus, the great commandment is to what? Love God and love others. And I'm afraid that we too often express that we don't have a problem with the great command that is given because we really can just keep that command in the context of our comfort zone. That command's fine with me as long as I can love God and love others when it's comfortable. Our Bibles won't allow that. Our Bibles won't allow us to only keep the great commands of God in our own comfort zones where we can just fit in and hold on to the likenesses we find. Our Bibles call us to step across lines of difference, to love those who are different from us made in God's image. We're called to something deeper, something greater, something more profound, something more reflective of God's character, stepping across lines to love others, truly seeking to love those who are different than us. Now, we have to understand that this gets messy, right? If we are going to pick up our Bibles and step forward in obedience outside of comfort zone, it will be uncomfortable. It can be difficult and confusing. And so I want to, to help us this morning to look at two specific categories where I think we can walk through this and then use it as a template for the many other categories we have in differences. Two categories I want to take a closer look at are the categories of politics and ethnic harmony because I want us to be uncomfortable. 
Now, this, this section of this message, it, it, might, it might be the most unsatisfying part of a message you will ever hear. Because what's going to happen is a lot of questions are going to come up and not a lot of answers. So, I want us to look at these categories of politics and ethnic harmony because I want us to see how we can pursue love, seeing others in the image of God across the lines of those who, who differ from us in how they think and who differ from us in how they look. And in order to do that, I want us to stay focused on thinking about others in particular and not getting too swept away in the ideas and in the thoughts and in the policies that can all get brought to the surface. So I still want to equip us as a church to think well about those things. So hopefully uh, we're going to put up on the screen some resources uh, if, if our technology is working properly. Um, some resources that might help you with all of the questions that I don't have the answers to this morning. So if we can throw them up there, maybe. If not, I can just mention them. The first resource uh, we might be familiar as a church is a book that, there we go, our brother Tim Shorey wrote called Respect the Image. In this book, many of us have it, have read it. Tim came a number of years ago and taught about it. Uh, it's an excellent book to help us think about, I'll just read the, the subtitle, Reflecting Human Worth and How We Listen and Talk. It's all about communication in considering those who are different from us and using that lens of the image of God. Highly recommended, and we do have this one in the bookstore, uh, so I would encourage all to grab that one. The next resource, I'm not sure which one it is, we'll just throw it up there. Okay, this one, uh, How the Nations Rage, Rethinking Faith and Politics in a Divided Age. If we want to be equipped to understand how should I as a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, understand and think about the realm of politics in America, this is an excellent resource that I commend to you. You can either take a picture, we're going to send it out uh, on the website this week with links to these things as well. This is a good resource. The next one. Uh, is a book written by Isaac Adams talking about race, gospel hope for hard conversations. This book has been profoundly helpful to me. Uh, Pastor Adams does a great job of laying out the different perspectives that people have coming from different parts of experience and life and how we can lean into conversation with one another. Gracious, humble, considering of others, And he, he walks through many issues in that that I find helpful. Uh, so that's another one. And then the last one is a message uh, that was given by uh, a Sovereign Grace pastor, our brother up at Covenant Fellowship, Rob Flood, um, to their church. The Church and Politics, uh, they were doing a series called Renewing Their Mind. This is an excellent, clear understanding of how we take the Bible and understand how politics function in how we think and how we consider others in the church when it comes to politics. Um, so you can find that on their website. Again, we'll give you the link. I highly recommend all those. All these things will answer questions that I won't. So we can proceed. Okay. How do we love others by putting on the lenses of the image of God when we encounter political differences? See, our culture, it seems, is ever 
growing in polarizing our community. Political ideology and rhetoric are ever increasing to send us to one side or the other. The message of the culture around us is when it comes to politics, here's the mission. Identify and polarize. That's what we are being taught to do when we consume the content of network news, social media feeds, partisan podcasts. We are being trained to see others for the purpose of identifying party identification followed by category assumptions and wholesale judgments. That's what we're being trained to do when we consume those outlets consistently and constantly. We are not being trained to see others as image bearers. We're being trained to see and divide. Where the mind of assumptions and the heart of judgments are present, listen, the tongue is not far from cursing. The image of God lenses allows us to see others not fundamentally by political party, but by the unique God-designed purposes of reflecting his image through that unique individual. This is what has happened to our culture. It has lost the ability to nuance thought. In the game of politics, nuance thought is seen as weakness. A, a slow-to-speak posture Seeking to understand, it doesn't work well in an Instagram story or a news story headline. Our culture wants to move much quicker, identify, polarize, chastise. And listen, it can be pretty easy to identify that as the culture around us. What's more challenging is to ask the question, how much of the water I'm swimming in, am I drinking? We become naive to think that our scrolling, TV watching, post reading are not having an impact on our hearts and our eyes, our minds and our tongues. Ask yourself this question. When someone representing a political opposition shows up on the screen in front of you, how goes your head? How goes your heart? How goes your tongue? I have seen this in my own mind, in my own heart, and out of my own mouth. Too quick to be caught up in the tides of culture and its polarizing agenda. And I'm sad to say I am too often been characterized by Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. We need corrective lenses for our minds and our hearts and our mouths to see those that we differ with in how they view things, in their opinions, in what they put forth that are different from us. We need to primarily identify them as image bearers, to nuance thought 
slow to speak, eager to understand. People who look to love above all else. And this, oh, and this must, this must primarily shine in the church first. There are those in this room who have difference of thought and opinion on political lines. We cannot allow the cultural's, the culture's idea of how to address those things to creep into the church. This is to be the place that reflects the ultimate end of all these things in the great unity of diversity celebrated in heaven. We are an embassy of the kingdom of our King Jesus. And so this embassy should function with beautiful diversity coming together in unity. The church is unlike the political culture out there. The church of Christ is to be a place of humility and of charity. Pastor Mark Dever states it pretty succinctly this way. He says, the Christ we share is more important than the politics we don't. May that be the mark of the church of Christ. May it be the mark of Green Tree Church. Primarily, our posture is to exalt Jesus. That's our party. That's who we identify with. That's how we will love one another. Too much to say, not enough time. Go read the books. Next, (laughs) ethnic harmony. My friend and pastor, fellow Sovereign Grace pastor, Jared Torrance says this, the image of God, it creates a joyful celebration of our ethnic diversity that is rooted in our joyful celebration of God himself. God himself loves the diversity he has made to reflect his image. And I believe that one of the biggest dangers to the church, particularly the church in America, that it faces when it comes to the topic of race and racism and diversity is, again, we are allowing ourselves to be predominantly informed by tweets, sound bites, and posts rather than the word of God. We need to purge our systems and put on the corrective lenses of Scripture. We need to be a church that is biblically informed, that the Bible should hold greater prominence in shaping our perspective than our news or social media feed. But the question is to ask every one of us, I wonder, are we pursuing, actively pursuing a God-informed perspective of the racial strife that we see in our culture? When we see racial strife, ethnic disharmony in our culture is our instinct to go and be shaped by God's word or by the media. This must be our bent. We must go to God's word to to get his understanding of what it means to pursue harmony across ethnic lines. There are those 
as we come to these things, there are those that we say, oh, they seem to speak about race and racism over and above everything else at one extreme. And there are those who don't want to speak about it at all because they don't believe that there is a real problem with ethnic disharmony. And we, we can often think, well, I'm not racist myself, so therefore it's not a problem that needs to be addressed. And this too often leads to a blindness of the racism around us. We end up ignoring it and losing a track to love others. God's purpose that his image be stamped on a diversity of humanity is his design to display that beauty. Therefore, racism is an affront to God. It's an assault against his character, his creativity, his wisdom, his glory. Racism in any form is an offense to God himself. We can't ignore the reality that our country The culture that we are in has a history that has been stained by the sin of racism. And we are foolish to think that this stain is easily washed away. The church is to be a place that doesn't dismiss or diminish the stains and pains of sin, but a place that embraces grace, compassion, love, and selflessness. We need to adopt a posture of humility and understanding of those whose lives and experiences are different from our own. Let me quickly just address one perspective that that I have had that I feel may have been a misstep. There is a good intention but an unhelpful perspective out there that at times has been labeled color blindness. We have taken the words, I have done this myself, the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and I have laid those words over discussions, over persons, over ideas in unhelpful ways. Dr. King said, judge not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Despite its original intention, it has often operated for me as a way to not judge people good, but has hindered me to truly see and know people bad. Seeing others through the lens of being an image bearer, it doesn't eliminate color. It doesn't eliminate ethnic differences. It doesn't see them in those things, but it primarily identifies them as God's image bearers. These corrective lenses of the image of God help us see everyone with God's perspective. If we want to truly love others, we have to really know others. And that means seeing each other in all of our differences and seeing each other primarily as an image bearer of God himself. And that will lead us to take up God's design and we will celebrate ethnic diversity as an expression of God's creativity. 
And it will put us on a track to see what is celebratable in people not like us. We, sinners saved by grace, are a people of grace, which means we are to be those unlike anyone else that are grace identifiers. We can look across the diverse swath before us and our primary eyesight should be where is God's grace present and how do I celebrate it? First and foremost. Now very quickly, let's go to one other part of our Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five, I'm gonna read 14 to 21, and I want you to hear these words in the context of seeing others in the image of God that are different from us. This is what has happened to those who have been rescued by the work of Jesus. Second Corinthians five, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Church, listen, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yes, yes. The reconciling work of the Savior for for sinners has fundamentally transformed our identity and our mission. We are now those saved by grace, sent to be ambassadors with the message of reconciliation. Pastor Isaac Adams in that book I mentioned says this, Christians should be ministers of reconciliation, but sadly, Too many Christians have become ministers of alienation. We need to humbly examine our hearts, our minds, and our tongues and ask if that hasn't been the ministry going on. Seeing those who are different and going, I want to, but that's hard. I want to, but that's messy. I want to, but that's confusing. Too often, we function and operate 
in a ministry of alienation. And brothers and sisters in the church, that is not our mission. We are ambassadors of the gospel, the message that unifies the sinners together for the grand purpose of exalting Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must put on the corrective lenses of seeing image bearers before us and take to those who are different from us the message of amazing grace. That is who we are. That is our message, our mission. That is why we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And we, we fuel this by remembering that we were once far off. That he himself came to those unlike him, rebels, and at enmity with him, crossing that line to stand in our place, to bear the punishment we deserve, to bring us unto himself. Amen. Drink that in the morning. If we remind ourselves what has been done for us, we can look at those who think differently and look differently and take to them the message of grace and love and say, come on in. There is great joy. And then we will celebrate the beauty of diversity that God has placed on those who bear his image. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord, God, and Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy. We thank you for your creativity in your grand design. We thank you that you have loved individuals and saved them from rebellion and sin, and that your purpose was to bring them together in this place we call the church, to be on earth a representation of heaven. And we ask, Lord, that you will humble our hearts, renew our minds, tame our tongues, and give us corrective lenses that see the way you see, that love the way you love, that step into mess to make what is wrong so right. We need so much grace. And we ask for it in Jesus' name, amen.